this week on Dig Me Out. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And speaking of our union, Jay, we are joined not only by a union member, but I was looking back at our history of just albums we've reviewed and a, a name that kept popping up a legend you might say one one dirty gert better known as uh david gorgos had has made such um interesting picks over the years and i went back and was looking at some of the stuff and i don't even know if you remember all of them but uh welcome to the show david and let's talk about every pick you've ever made let's go through okay okay (laughs) do you remember all of them there are some that like i remember space needle Yep. Has uh, that crazy cover that the, the guy who did all those album covers in the 70s and stuff did. Yep. Uh, Lisa Germano. Yep. Excerpt of a Love Circus. Uh, nope. I can't remember any of the others. Sports guitar. Oh, sports guitar. Yeah. I forgot the about Swirlies. that. Swirlies. Oh, another Boston band. Yep. Eric's Trip. Yep. All right. And that's just ones that like we actually made a note uh, in the uh, description of the show because back then we we were, had a different website and you know there was uh, uh, not as much information as we put into the uh, episode description as now. So there, I might actually be missing some. Uh, I don't know, but I, I know there were a lot that were by your picks and uh, really got us out of our uh, those. Those were all like first, second, third season. And got us out of our um, comfort zone a lot of the The time. union was smaller then. The union was, yeah. It was like you, yeah. Gavin. Right. Uh, some other folks. But uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't quite the raucous uh, Discord community and, and Patreon community that it is now. Where everybody's, uh, every week is filled in by our patrons picking records. So without uh, further ado, what have you added to your list of suggestions? Tell everyone the album that you picked for this episode. Uh, This is a 1991 album by a Boston band called Tribe. Uh, It's their major debut uh, called Abort. And it's, I guess it's a reworking of their indie album uh reworking re-recording some new songs and this was their supposed to be their big splash um released a few months before nevermind i believe Um, yeah that that beautiful fall of 91 when so much was coming out yeah um you mentioned about the tracks eight of them uh were previously on their self-released record or, or indie record here at home, which was on Rutabaga Records. I think that's their own record label. Uh, and then they recorded eight of the songs for this record, which came out on Slash Slash Warner Brothers, uh, the indie, uh, not indie, but the um, imprint from Warner. It was produced by Gil Norton, who people probably know from working with the Pixies, as well as Chris Sheldon. And the band... Was the band, I think from reading, the band was pretty much um, the same five members. Uh, Janet Lavalli on vocals, or Lavalli on vocals and rhythm guitar. Terry Barosis, or Barros, on keyboards and backing vocals. It's Terry with an I. Eric Brocious on lead guitar and backing vocals. Greg Lopiccolo on bass and backing vocals. And David Penzo 
on drums and percussions. At some point, I think um, somebody else was in the band, uh, Mike Levesque, who, why do I know that name? Um, he was in, he must've been in some other, uh, bands from, uh, from Boston. Oh, yeah, this the is candy... the core lineup. Gotcha. He must've played drums, uh, for, for some part of it or something. Um, cause he's, he's got a long list of, uh, bands that he's played drums for that includes like David Bowie. So. And he's played with, yeah, it's listed. He's got his own page. Um, quite a lot of people. Dave Navarro, the Candy Butchers, uh, Letters to Cleo, Juliana Hatfield, Seven Mary Three, Natalie and Bruglia. Anyway, so he, so that the original five were the ones that were the main uh, band. They, as you mentioned, released Abort in '91, and then Sleeper also on Slash Warner in 93, and then they were dropped and broke up in 94, um, which is the, okay, that's the year. He played, uh, Mike only played live shows in 94 after uh, David Penzo apparently left. So uh, what's interesting is that Terry and Eric and Greg joined a video game developer uh looking glass studios and did sound voice and music work on a bunch of different video games and they became um founding members of a company called harmonics which created rock band and from what i understand terry who now goes by terry brocious because uh they married uh, after the band, uh, she is internet famous for her voice work. Oh, so interesting. If you try to track her down, she's got some super fans out there. And, and those three, I think, were the core of Tribe, the band. Uh, it's kind of odd, but the lead singer wasn't really the main unit of the band, from what I understand. And they all they lost touch with her over time. Okay. How did you discover them? Dollar bins, I believe. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I discovered them because I was looking for the UK band Sleeper, uh, who definitely could get dug out at some point, and picked up this, picked up Tribe's album Sleeper, thinking it was the other band, liking it, and then finding the abort in a dollar bin, and liking it even more, and uh, I, I put it back on a few months ago and I pretty much knew the whole album back to front. It, it's really stuck with me. Um, but I never got to see them live and they were apparently a tremendous live presence and had, had a big cult. Um, but I, I was too late to the game. Jay, had you ever heard them? No, I had no idea this band existed. And it's funny that we did the Boston round table and, you know, had some, obviously some artists from the scene and, and even a radio and nobody mentioned this band. Um, so yeah, I had no idea what I was in for and had never heard of them. Yeah. Actually tonight I, when I, I was listening to the record for the final time and I pulled up the video for Joyride to see what the video looked like. And, um, I was like, how did this not come up during our Boston episode? So I tweeted at Kay Hanley and, and asked her and cause she was on that episode. I also asked yeah. Bill Janowitz cause he was around that time. I don't think Aaron Perino who was on that episode was actually in Boston yeah. In like 90, I think he was uh, still a youngster at that point. Yeah. So, uh, but anybody who was uh, in the Boston area, uh, you could have hipped us to this afterwards. Although it's not on streaming, so maybe that was part of the problem. And uh, we well, did that. That's why I'm like, here. I'm here to dig out these bands that you overlooked. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's a lot. We don't. Yeah. We don't claim to that we've actually found every every band. No. No, we, no. That's why we. Uh, we need this. Uh, this is quintessential. Camp. This is yeah, like, exactly. it only exists in your physical CD collection and in your memory. So, <laughs> well, it Look also that. exists at, um, Steve, uh, tribe dot Steve Latham dot net because apparently Steve Latham is either a super fan or somehow connected to the band. 
And he built a website that is exceptionally detailed. Um, he's got all the information on the band members. He collected all of their music files, every MP3 for every release and some unreleased material. He's got, um, pictures of everything, you know, all the releases. He's got an articles page where he even like, uh, scanned spin articles that aren't online and, and Boston Herald and, Boston Phoenix, like there's, he's got set lists from shows, pictures, advertising. Um, he's got examples of, of, or, or, or can you buy tribe merch? I think you can, you can visit the tribe store. <laughs> so yeah, you can get a tribe t-shirt. Uh, there's it, it is amazing how a major label band can have, all this promotional output and all the money spent on them and then just disappear except for yeah. one super fan. Yep. You can join the tribe message board, sign the guest book. <laughs> the guest oh, book. Okay. <laughs> is there, is there a counter for how many people have visited the site? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> uh, and then there's like links to all this stuff. You can find their MySpace page. And uh, their Yahoo uh, t- page, I guess. You can buy music on Gem, <laughs> which Gem no longer exists. Anymore. That's how old this is. Gem was purchased by Discogs like 15 years ago. Uh, that, But that's where I used to buy uh, weird import singles in the late 90s and early 2000s. It was on Gem, hey. J-E-M-M. Yeah. So, but this, again, this has not, this is the, the, the copyright is 2010 tribe online.info. So I, I, some of it might be out of date. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. You should have kept up for the 20th anniversary of the band. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and this is a, you, you know, Jay and I've said we're missing, um, you know, quite a bit of 1991, 92. We've, those are some of the lower end years in terms of amounts of records. So we appreciate you, uh, you picking a 91 record and a record that's 30 years old. Oof. Yeah. Coming up. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. You mentioned August 27th. Uh, this was released in 1991, just a couple weeks before. Never mind. That's a, a significant date. Um, we got some feedback from our folks over at Patreon. We'll re- release the results of the poll at the end of the show when we vote were the album better EP or decent single. But here's what some uh, folks over at Patreon said. Uh, Marissa Buxbaum said, I had never heard of this band or this record before, but I enjoyed it so much I played it again immediately as soon as I finished my first listen through. It's like a female-fronted early cult pseudo-goth meets irreverent 90s pop rock album highlights for me are the title track jackpot here at home easter dinner joyride and outside kyle bittner said this album is really cool sounding i like that it leans more on 80s alt rock uh sound than what was happening in 1991 the addition of the organ or keyboard at a dark sound that reminds me of concrete blonde mixed with the pixies gavin says i'd never heard of this band from the cover i expected rock and it kind of started that way. Then it became cool 80s vibe that others mentioned. Remind me of the, the Falling Joys and the Clouds. Falling Joys, which we have covered on this podcast. Clouds, not yet. That one's been in, the, I think, at least two different polls and not, not made it. Uh, Willie Dillon, I like the first song, but then I started to lose interest. Okay. Jeff Gentis said, first track is solid, and I remember hearing it as a single on College Rock Radio but the rest sounds like lesser tracks on a pre 92 concrete blonde or throwing album. I think he means throwing muses album. Uh, Patrick Tessa said, I saw that movie too. I don't know what that means. Is there a movie called tribe or abort? Uh, joy, Joyride joke. I saw the film. Oh, I got it. Duh. Okay. Duh. Uh, okay. And then Richard Waterman wrote a lot. Uh, I'm going to try to, uh, get through this uh it's one of life's great pleasures when you find a newer old album or band that you had never heard 
This is right in my wheelhouse. It's great alt-rock. All you really need in life is great alt-rock. It has to have this distinct 90s flavor, though. It reminded me of the Pixies, the Cure, the Breeders, and even Simple Minds. I even heard Waxostatic era sponge guitar sounds. Eleven, Vruca Salt, Elastica, and even the first Dig album, especially in the bass. I, that's like all the bands. He just he mentioned all the bands. <laughs> um, standout moments are the drum sound. Love the snare on this album. The organ keyboard at the start of Easter dinner, and then around the two minute mark, the song really loves off. Abort sounds like Daydreamer from Menswear. Love the guitar in Rescue Me Too. My favorite track is Jackpot, especially the second half when Janet LaValle starts uh, starts belting it out with the vocals. The song made me want to dance, which is strange. Then I looked up the song, and they did indeed release a dance remix of the song. Gil, uh, Gil Norton does a jo- great job of producer on this, too. Thanks to Gorgos the Mighty oh. for the album. Oh, that's a sweet... Uh, Finally. That's a sweet one. Gorgos the Mighty. That sounds like a Marvel character. Right. <laughs> Maybe even Lord of the Rings. Yes. <laughs> like, my are they on the path? Bringing previous albums was much less than Mighty. What was that? I'll take my track record on previous choices was less than Mighty. Okay. Well, <laughs> no, Richard's listening to every episode and he thinks you're Mighty. So, yeah. <laughs> Gorgos the Mighty. That's like a. That's like a villain that you would, you know, you would is like a bad guy in like a Guardian of the Galaxy um, movie. Uh, I'm taking on Kong next year. Nice. (laughs) Or goes the mighty verse Kong. (laughs) All right, Jay, let's get into it. Tell me one thing you liked about Abort by Tribe. Well, a lot lot of the comments covered it. It, To me, it sounds like 91 and all the best possible ways um so starting with the keyboards which i think is the most unique thing on the record um from a instrumentation standpoint they are tones that are often like 80s almost cringy uh in that like if you were sampling tones on the keyboard you're like oh yeah yeah we i can never use that or i can never use that but he uses them and they sound super cool um there are some things like organs and, and perfisa sounding stuff, but there are also some very synthy things that you would hear, you know, more towards the late eighties and just the way that they're brought in the way that they play off the vocals often um, either sort of matching them and creating this bed or countering them. You know, uh, so she'll deliver a line and there'll be like a little little organ fill or keyboard fill and she'll deliver a line and kind of go back and forth. So that is a really unique sound. And I think that's the thing I'm liking about this album the most. It just sonically sounds like, like I said, like all of that alternative 80s stuff that I think we, we think of as kind of forming the 90s. So like, yes, a little call concrete blonde psychedelic furs i even heard like a little Ten Thousand maniacs you hear a little u2 like all the stuff smithereens like all that kind of stuff you hear little pieces and parts that are reminiscent of those kinds of bands but i think it is sort of presented in a in a 90s way in that it's punchier you know the drums are i think um more in your face than some of those bands i just talked about there's more thud, there's more low end, you know, so you kind of, you start to get, and there's some guitar work here that gets a little bit, um, you know, aggressive, more aggressive than you might hear on some of that 80s stuff in terms of, you know, feedback or noises or like, you know, extreme bends and and things that are, you know, fairly aggressive and, um, and kind of rough, like that would be more typical of a 90s record.
but in a weird way, you know, I'm talking about all this stuff from the eighties, the way that it's put together, it's, I don't know if it's timeless, but it's got enough, like it's soaked in enough nostalgia that it kind of feels timeless. You know, I could hear like a band on purpose making a record that sounds like this now, you know? And I guess the last thing is just the vocals are really cool. She's got a ton of range. She can go from kind of almost crooning like a Chrissy Hind and talk singing to, you know, some of the stuff like payphone almost sounded like a Madonna beat B side or like album track that you hadn't heard. I like the harmony stuff. There's some really cool unexpected, like almost beach boys, like harmonies on here. Um, Abort is a good example, a little break they do. And, and even the first song, it has like this almost la 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 kind of thing going on that is really lush and, you know, kind of has a California vibe to it. So there's just a ton of different pieces and parts coming together on this record. rocks hard you know so you've got this beautiful singer that's got all this range you've got all this all these cool like instruments and sounds and tones that are like reminiscent of 80s and uh early 90s sounds but then at the end of the day like you know joyride is a rocker like it's just uh, grabs you emotionally and like you're into it your head nods and uh, it just delivers on that level too um, it doesn't sound thin you know it's it sounds, it's got some grit. It's got a little heaviness to it. So yeah, there's, there's quite a bit here. There's a lot going on um, in a good way on this record for me. How about you, Tim? Yeah. I, the first time I listened to this, I thought this sounds like a compilation because there's <laughs> so much happening yeah. from so many different angles. You know, you get that, that opening song and there's those, those vocals at the beginning. You're like, okay, uh is this the b-52s yeah and then there's a song that sounds like like lush yeah. or slow dive and then there's some stuff that like you said like chrissy hine like there's one song um uh, i have to go back and easter re- dinner maybe yeah easter dinner i'm like yeah. this is the, this sounds like the pretenders yeah. but it's unified um in a weird way but they are able to bounce around from song to song and sound to sound very effortlessly and I think having a five piece really helps and having a lot of people singing and, and sometimes uh, everybody's singing except for, I think yeah. the drummer's not singing, but the other four are, and it can just create these, like you said, there's like a beach boy esque harmony thing going on in a board, which is just really weird. And then there's Joyride has that like uh, fast talking part. Yeah. That I don't like, it's, it almost reminded me of like what uh, Kay Hanley does in Letters to Cleo with um, Here and Now, where I was like, how do you even come up with that? Like, that's that's like somebody's got some musical training background to be able to like mess around with that complex of a of a vocal creation, because I would never I would never think of something like that. Yeah. Um, and I just I really liked how there was from song to song, you had no idea what was coming next. And yeah, it does. I think you said like it's it is soaked in sort of like late 80s, early 90s alternative sounds. And you could hear a band emulating that now. But at the same time, it sounds very much like that. I mean, it, it yes, you could pull off the right, you know, guitar tones and 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 flanges and, and chorus pedals and stuff like that to get some of these sounds. But uh, 
it's such a weird concoction that it you just I just kept listening to it like I man they had something really interesting going on here and um when I saw the video for Joyride I I mean I know that it was a performance video and whatnot but I was like this is a weird cast of characters like you have you have a couple of dudes that look like they could be in like punk rock bands or they could be in like psychedelic bands. Like yeah. that's how weird 91, 1990, 1991 was. Where like I don't know it's not as it's not defined in yeah. terms of just by looking at them, what they are and, and what they sound like. Like it's a very weird mishmash of uh of personalities and and whatnot going into this. So yeah, it, it, the whole ride was really interesting, and I just like the uh, the diversity that I didn't know what I was going to get next. So, David, what works best for you on this record? Uh, it's definitely the variety for me. How it always sounds like a cohesive unit, um, but you do get that variety from song to song. All four leads had wrote different songs on it. And they trade back and forth. They trade back and forth within the songs. Like Joyride goes through a roller coaster. You have that kind of 80s goth verse. And then you go into this ethereal bridge. And then you get that tribal uh, chorus that, uh, you know, that that you mentioned the letters to Cleo. Um, comfort of a notion of a rise of the skies above can never parallel the challenge of an acquisition of a, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, I have the lyric sheet in front of me and I, I still don't understand that chorus in joy. <laughs> um, and then there's a key change and, and you get a few different guitar sounds in it too. Um, uh, the, the guitarist, uh, uh, Eric, right. He can do three different guitar sounds sounds in one song. He'll do a, a soaring 70s solo. He'll do, uh, you know, a jangly lead. And then he'll kick in the distortion, too. Um, so you get all these different sounds, and yet it always still sounds like the same band. You just see different sides of it throughout the record. And you have mm. to have the patience. Like the first song here at the home sounds nothing like the rest of the album. Uh, it, it doesn't even, you don't even hear Janet in that song at all. So if you're listening, if you're like, hey, this band's got a great singer, and then you hear that first song, you're like, wait, I don't know. Um, right. So you have, to, you have to really take the whole band as a package, and it's it's a tremendous package. Yeah, I think, um, you know, what's so crazy about this record is that, like you said, it opens with, okay, there's like these female harmony vocals doing this la-la-la part, and then you go to the second song, and it's like a totally different vibe. Like it's this chill. Okay. What am I getting here? And then you go to abort. And it's got that like screeching guitar part at the beginning. And then the first three songs, just like, I, what is going on with this record? There's, there's no through line that I can, other than there being really interesting vocals and melodies happening, but like musically, they're just like all over the place. Um, which just kept me going to like the next song and the next song. And then Jay, you mentioned, or maybe I don't know who, yeah, we might like psychedelic furs and and the eighties, like in jackpot. um, When the back half of that kicks in, there's like a vibrato type thing happening with the guitar. I was like, Oh man, this sounds like, this sounds like like some classic, like eighties new wave, uh, like guitar oriented new wave. Yeah. Like the the furs or the buggy men or something like that. Like it was so weird to hear, and I guess because of the fact that they had released an EP and then an album and then this came out and those were essentially reworking the same songs over and over. They really got to like hone them in and do and think of like creative guitar parts and, and redo vocals and and really get to get down to what makes the songs interesting. Because I there is I mean, these are tight songs. There's the longest song is 425. Everything is between basically three minutes and four minutes on this record. So by cover, standards, it's very merciful. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very tight and it's like they get in and out with a lot of stuff to say in those songs.
if you think about how much movement is in some of these songs, like sections, you know, it's pretty remarkable. We just take Joy Joyride for example. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot going on in that song. I mean, and some some of them have like an A part and a B part for a chorus, plus you know a pre-chorus and a bridge and a, an outro, and they get through all that, yeah, in three to four minutes, which is pretty pretty impressive. Um, so, what didn't work for you on this record, Jay? There's some songs I'm I'm not quite resonating with yet. Um, a song like Payphone, like I want to like that, but it, it's a little kind of a lullaby, you know, it's kind of quiet and I can't quite grab onto the melody. Uh, Serenade, same kind of thing, a little jangly. That's the one that like gets a little folky, hippie almost, like with the acoustic guitar strumming in that and stuff. It's just that a tide is another good example. Just there's some material in here where just don't quite grab onto a hook. Um, and it's not as compelling as some of the other songs that have like all the other songs have that moment that grabs you. Sometimes it's a vocal, sometimes it's a change. Sometimes it's the jump part, you know, that like brings you in and like really grabs your emotion. Um, but there's a couple on here. Rescue me is another one um, where she sounds a little bit like um, the cranberries singer. So there's some material on here that just doesn't quite reach that same level um, as something like a joyride or jackpot or here at the home. Um, even daddy's home, I think is really dark and cool. So it's really, I think, just songs, you know, I think there's some album tracks on here that are not as good as the other ones. Everything else works pretty well. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to actually spend more time with this record because I, I, I definitely feel like there's, it's the kind of, um, kind of listen that is going to be a little different on headphones that isn't on speakers. And it's, you know, probably when you're a couple dozen listens into it, you're going to start hearing things you didn't hear before, uh, really just the songs. Uh, yeah, I agree with you on the um the, the things that didn't work are I think on the back end um after jackpot it weakens up a little bit in terms of just there isn't as much going on, especially with yeah. Serenade and Tide. They almost even follow like the same format where they're kind of clean and then by the end of the song they, the guitar sort of raves up and and you get some noise and there's just there, there isn't as much happening. Whereas yep. I always feel like if any if any moment of a song starts to get a little repetitive or boring, they bring something in. Like it might be a really weird yep. guitar part or they make a change that I wasn't expecting. Those are the, really the only two. I, I mean, there's some songs that are just like you mentioned, Rescue Me and Payphone. They're just quieter songs. Yeah. And Rescue, you know, Rescue Me definitely has like a Cranberries, Dolores or Reardon vibe to it you know, long before the cranberries existed. So it just has like this very, I guess, like dream pop vibe to it. I guess you could probably connect it back to like the Cocteau twins or something like that in that dreaminess aspect. Other than that, I mean, I think, you know, it's weird because like sometimes the keyboard parts, I know what you're talking about with regards to them being sort of like retro and cool. There was one where the organ stuck out like it was very Easter dinner. Yeah. Maybe it was Easter dinner. It definitely stands out, but I thought it was kind of cool, but it definitely pops out of the mix. It is not subtle. Yeah. I, that one was a little weird to me because it was just like, so um, like organy, like, uh, yeah. like, I, I don't know. It was it's just, like a just, pipe pipe organ kind of. Yeah. Sound. Like a like, pipe organ. Like you're in church. 
yeah. sometimes the organ sounds a little flat too when it's so prominent. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more effective as a, as an accent. Yeah. I think if it maybe was like an octave lower or something, or it had a little, like, um, had like a Leslie vibe with a little bit of rotation in the sound, it maybe wouldn't have uh, stuck out so much to me, but for some reason it just like sounded a little weird. Yeah. Um, David, what does it work for you on this record? If anything, for me, the lyrics are a little spotty. I would say a lot of times they're going for some big themes and I just don't have the chops to really uh, back it up. It, it sounds trite in a lot of a lot of the songs. I think Daddy's Home, the lyrics are fairly successful, but if you just listen to the words of Here at the Home, it, it's uh, it makes me cringe sometimes. Um, just the, the simple the simple rhymes and uh, not really saying much. But the, the music is what carries me over it. It's just when you have a lyric sheet in front of you that comes with a CD, mm. you're reading along. Some of the songs just, it sounds like they're overreaching. Mm. I didn't, you know, the lyrics are weird because sometimes they really stick out and you hear, you know, like when we were doing the Cowboy Mouth episode last uh, week, the, the rec that recording was so clean that like you could clearly hear all the lyrics, what they, what, what he was singing. Whereas here, there tend, sometimes there tend to be like some, you know, distortion or fuzz or whatever that was sort of cleaning up or, or, or not cleaning up, but like dirtying up uh, what was happening around the vocal. So I wasn't necessarily catching um, what all the lyrics were. And I didn't uh, at that point uh, find uh, Steve's website to read them because he does have them all typed out. If you want to, uh, if you want to read them and don't have access to the uh, to the CD, which you can get on, I did check Discogs. You can get this record for a good price. I mean, it's it's not super expensive. They did press this on vinyl, by the way, in the UK. Uh, that is not easy to get, only because the shipping is so ridiculous right now from the UK to the US. So you can buy it for like fifteen dollars, or you're going to pay like forty dollars to get it shipped. So. Oh, and then it still might not come properly because it's going to come through the postal service. Right. Don't want to bring up the fall record that my girlfriend got for me. It was left on a neighbor's porch and in the rain, and they wouldn't uh, do anything about it from the UK either. So yeah, I've stopped. Record. I've stopped ordering from across the pond for any of my records just because of that. Because I'm I'm worried about the insane shipping times now and. I buy all my uh, $2 records locally. So let me ask you guys, you know, this was a band that got signed to a major right when alternative was kind of blowing up with regards to, you know, Nirvana obviously was about to blow it up to another level, but alternative music was already making inroads thanks to REM, thanks to Jane's Addiction, thanks to Living Color, uh, Faith No More. All those bands had hits in 89, 90 and this band, you know, on the heels of that, puts out Joyride as a single in 91. I'm guessing it preceded the album. So we're talking like spring, summer of, of 91, Joyride comes out. Is it surprising that that single didn't connect with people? Is the band got released, you know, they were had a three album deal, but they ended up getting cut after the first two for lack of sales. I'm surprised. Honestly, I'm surprised they made it to the second record. They probably... We're hoping that maybe they would pull it together. I haven't heard Sleeper. Is there is there anything more? Uh, well, A, is it surprising? And B, I'll ask this for you, David. Uh, is there anything more poppy on the second record that would make them into a, you know, a, a band that could have a single? I, I don't remember a standout single. I, I okay. do remember the album being much less cohesive, though. It was more a collection of songs than, you know, one unit like this album sounds like i'd say the problem is probably lack of promotion i looked at what slash records was like then mm -hmm. and it was probably a terrible fit for this band they had bodines faith no more grantley buffalo l7 the chills 
Los Lobos and were just signing failure. And then they had tribe. So I, I, I can't imagine they put much effort behind this band or really know what to do with them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so eclectic. Like you basically have to pick a song and hope that it's a single. Cause it's not obvious. I mean, there's a lot of cool songs, but I don't think there's an obvious single. Do you agree, Jay? Was there one that stood out? Do you think like Joyride should have been the single or? Cause I don't, I don't feel like there is. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if this, this isn't really a singles band to me, even though songs are like around four minutes. I guess I don't think of them, especially in the nineties. Like and the other thing, again, like in 91, it's hard to find a song in here that doesn't have like some heavy eighties overtone to it. Even if it's just like, you know, um, eighties alternative, or if it's sonically like a keyboard part. So that's the other thing I think of too, is why it would be hard to imagine any of these songs on the radio are really catching pop culture at that time, just because it was fighting the exact opposite movement where it was like, we want to reject everything about the eighties. <laughs> um, and they are certainly not doing that here now, you know, 30 years later, it's super cool. But I think at the time it was a, probably a tough sell. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. There's some great melodies and hooks. I don't know if I hear like, Oh yeah, this could have been on the radio on a huge single. Yeah. To me, this is like a quintessential, uh, like 120 minutes. Yeah. Like late night. MTV college radio band and a band like that would be similar to them would be like concrete blonde, which was a little more straightforward, mm -hmm. but you know, they did their big hit was Joey, which was, you know, a little not typical and a ballad -y kind of feel. And right. I don't hear that on here. Right. Yeah. Th there's no attempt at like a big, essentially power ballad yeah even if it was dark you know like joey right. is it's still like a slower song you know that with melody right. that, that fits radio even though it's kind of dark and brooding well let's talk about our ratings for this record uh we'll share the poll results once we're done but jay where do you land were the album better ep or decent single I'm at a worthy album. Uh, I mentioned there's some songs in here that I don't think are as strong. Uh, I got Rescue Me, Payphone, Serenade, and Tide. So four of the 12, you know, it's going to take me a little time to, to really uh, get into them or I would just skip them. But the other eight are strong. I don't know if it's long enough to even warrant cutting it down. You know, I guess I could make the case if you got it down the cut two of those uh, four I just listed and got it down the 10 tracks. That wouldn't be a terrible thing, but um, I enjoy the ride and I'm looking forward to digging into the rest of the band's catalog too, a little bit, see where else, where else they, what other directions they go. Well, I agree with you. I think it's a worthy album. I would, I think that between the four that you mentioned, um, I think the one out of those that I would keep is rescue me. I just like the ethereal sort of dream pop, uh, sound of that song so i'd be at nine uh songs for this record but i don't i don't hate tide or outside or or payphone i just found that like i would be listening i would be conscious of jack jackpot and serenade happening and then all of a sudden i'd be on vigil i'd be like what did, what happened where was yeah. i yeah um those two songs just sort of washed over me and and didn't make an impact so but i this is a, a really cool record and I hope people can find it and check it out. Cause like we've mentioned, it's not on streaming services. So, which I don't understand why, because other slash records are. So why wouldn't it be up there? I don't know. we got to talk to the people who rent slash and give them an earful. David share with us your yes. rating. Well, maybe next year I'll give you an album. I don't like, but. Yeah, this is definitely a worthy album. Um, and yeah, the, the negative songs like Rescue Me, I love having that on the record because it's a different lead vocal too. Gives you yet another look at the band. I really enjoy how 
payphone becomes this this really dreamy, uh, dramatic song at the end. It starts out with that aggressive uh, keyboard and, you know, uh, very sing-songy and becomes, mm-hmm. it develops during that song and closes out that side in a real nice way for me. So I, I'm, I'm quite attached to the album. I wouldn't right. drop. Well, the, uh, the Patreon community agreed with you and us. 60% were the album. 30% better EP and 10% decent single. We know who the decent single was. That was Willie Dillon. He said, I like the first song, but then I started to lose interest. So, uh, or maybe it was Jeff Gentis because he also mentioned the first track as being solid. So maybe they formed a better, a decent single alliance. And that's where those, that 10% came from. Like I said, overall, 60% worthy album. So that might've been the first time I, th- I think uh, of all the picks that you've suggested to us, I know Jay and I struggled with some of those back in the day. We were, we were confounded by like space needle and sports guitar and, and uh, swirlies and Eric's trip and stuff. So this might be the first time. I don't know that we were even doing ratings at that point. Uh, I don't I remember when we started doing that. Jay, do you remember <laughs> when we started the Worthy album? That's a great question. I want to say it was maybe season two. We went a little while before we had it. I don't yeah. think I've ever gotten a Worthy album out of either of you. Well, here you go. Oh. We have we have broken the streak. You, you teed us up a, a, a nice, hot fastball down the middle, and we knocked it out of the park. We'll take that every now and then. <laughs> hey, they can't all be easy. You know, right. got to challenge. We, we got to be challenged. What you know, what's funny is that when we're talking about stuff that's not on streaming, streaming uh, or available to listen, some of those records that we did way back then are now on streaming then and they weren't. So like, and every once in a while I'll go through and I'll update um, our website to add the Spotify um, links so like I mentioned, like Sports Guitar and, and Space Needle, they weren't originally on Spotify and now they are. Um, so I've added them so people can check them out. One of the other ones that was really confounding, which I don't think you suggested, was the Cardiacs. Jay, do you remember that record? Mm-hmm. The double album of like Manic. Uh, it sounds like basically Mr. Bungle's going through Britpop like, and, 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 and The Fall and and all this crazy British stuff that's now on streaming. I couldn't even describe the album to people for like five years because I didn't know how to describe it. It was so crazy, but I didn't, yeah. you couldn't get the record. It was the, the CDs were hard to find. The, you could, the vinyl was like $500 and now it's finally, I can finally inflict that record onto people and go, see, this was what was driving me mad for a week. Uh, a double album of chaos. And that makes no uh, sense. Cardiacs. Cardiacs. Sing to God is the name of the album. Now you listen to that and report back because <laughs> by the by the third song, you help will have th- heard like 45 different 10 second songs squeezed into those three songs. It's just crazy. It's crazy. That's and the only thing I can call it is is Mr. Bungle doing Britpop. That's what it sounds like. So David. Thank you so much yes, for joining sir. us. Oh, it is my pleasure. And my pleasure to have uh, given you pleasure instead of uh, uh, something confounding. <laughs> well, you know what? Now, I, you know, I think uh, like that Swirly's record, I've gone back to that a number of times to like sample songs off that record when I need to make playlists. Like I'm, I'm like, I need to make like a weird shoegaze playlist and i'll be like oh there's that swirly's record that has like one or two weird songs that would fit um so even though i might not have liked the whole record i'm always like going back and finding things from what we've reviewed that maybe like one or two songs really connected or stuck in my brain over the years so that's why the the better ep and the decent singles are actually useful sometimes (laughs) for playlists if only we could find a a decent single off of this album yeah that's the that's the story of so many bands made really good records but didn't nail that one radio single 
And so many bands nailed that one radio single and then made crappy records. So that's the uh, the double-edged sword. I need to thank uh, all of our patrons who uh, commented on this episode. And if uh, you'd like to become a patron, you can join us over at the DMO Union by going to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. For as little as two bucks a month, you can support the podcast. Vote in our polls. Both are album selection polls. And then sometimes we uh, throw some other stuff out there. I know for a fact we're going to have an 80s poll this year thanks to Gavin Reed. Don't ask me how, but it's happening. We need to uh, remind people about the Box Newsletter. You go to Patreon to read it and listen to it because it's an audio newsletter as well. But also you can just sign up and join our Box Newsletter by going to digmeoutpodcast.com, which is also where you go to suggest an album that make it into one of the polls that we vote on at Patreon. And last but not least, if you like what you heard, please please consider leaving us some positive feedback at Apple Podcasts. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. <laughs>